It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast, where we spend time chatting with expert gardening guests, and we ask for their favorite tip. I'm Christy Wilhelmy. Thanks for joining me. My guest today is John Jevons, Executive Director of the globally active nonprofit organization Ecology Action, located in Willits, California, and author of How to Grow More Vegetables Than You Ever Thought Possible on Less Land Than You Can Imagine. Uh, the Garden Bible for his Grow Biointensive Sustainable Mini Farming Method. John has been teaching and researching biologically intensive farming for almost 50 years, and his methods are now being used successfully in 152 countries around the world. Welcome to the podcast, John. It is an honor. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on your program. Yay! And, and I want to say that uh, to request of the publisher this edition, the ninth edition, 2017, is with less water as part of the title. Now. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I can't wait to look and at an that. Another thing, thing that's in it is on pages 60 to 63 are all compost is not equal. Thank you so much for having that in your book because it is so true. And and we'll we'll have to. God, there's so much to talk about with you. It's crazy. Well, <laughs> well you can. You don't have to take everything we talk about. <laughs> For your podcast. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just want to start out by saying I had the pleasure of taking your three-day Grow Biointensive workshop in November of 2009. It It completely changed the way that I think about gardening, and I've been preaching it ever since to my students. And it's based on the concept of the way we do farming and gardening now is not sustainable and you really illustrate that very well so we have this ever-increasing population and an ever-dwindling amount of farmable land and water Uh, can you share how grow biointensive addresses this issue yes in case it doesn't flow within the rest i want to say that organic farming is 50 to 84 percent not sustainable yeah i know and the soil in which the organic farmer grows things is usually wonderful, but the inputs, both organic matter and purchased organic fertilizers, uh, are imported from other soils, so other soils are depleted. Right. And in addition, I didn't find this out until a few years ago, maybe within the last three years, only 1% of the farmland in the world is being farmed organically, and already we're in a situation of peak farmable nutrient and organic and chemical fertilizer forms. So we're running uh, out of phosphorus. So what we now call grow biointensive, we don't use the word sustainable in the the way we used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, You used to say grow biointensive sustainable mini farming, but now we call it closed loop grow biointensive sustainable mini farming because it has the potential of being virtually 100% sustainable if used properly. I love that. And um, so... What we've discovered, to answer your question now, (laughs) (laughs) Grow Biointensive, which is actually registered and trademarked and service marked. All caps, right? All caps. All caps. And we had to because other people started using the term uh, biointensive, which we wanted. We never wanted to trademark it Mm -hmm. or register market, but... Other people with pe- using pesticides were saying it was biointensive, oh, in- no. including with congressional testimony. Wow. So we had to create a new term. And in uh, Mexico, it's cultive biointensivamente marca registrada. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but grow biointensive, which I may refer to from now on as biointensive. That's fine. Keep it simpler. Yep. Um, 
Biointensive has a recipe for choosing your crops that increase the probability that combined with one other thing, interplanting, which uh, can produce in a really small area all of your food and with the food crops all of your compost materials. Right. It's, it's, um, it's amazing. Now, right now in the world, I'll give the recipe in a moment, mm -hmm. but uh, in the United States, in order to feed one person the average diet, it's a omnivore diet. It takes 101,000 square feet, over two acres. That's a lot of land for one person. Essentially, if you leave half of your farmable land in wild, which we're going to have to, mm -hmm. in order to preserve plant and animal genetic diversity, mm -hmm then uh, there's only about 4,000 square feet per person in the developing countries where 90% of the world's people live. Right, and Grow Biointensive and focuses grow on that 4,000 easily produce a tasty, complete balanced vegan diet on 4,000, and that's at beginning yields. At intermediate yields, which once you build up your skills and your soil reasonably, not extraordinarily, it can be 2,000. Oh, that's good to know. College Action has a new publication coming out in February that should show how to uh, grow a diet on less than 2,000 square feet. Ooh, that's exciting. But one, one thing that, uh, about uh, before I give the recipe, yes, uh, I haven't forgotten that, <laughs> um, Japan, after Fukushima, has 1,480 square feet per person to grow their diet on. They're eating a 70,000-square-foot diet. Within two to four to five years, it's going to not be possible to import food. Mm -hmm. Haiti imports 84% of its food. Wow. So it's had the tsunami, it had the earthquake, but the, the real deal is they can't grow all of their own food by the techniques they're using. Right. Bermuda has only 500 square feet. Mm -hmm. There are ways in which biointensive might be able to empower Japan and Haiti and possibly even Bermuda. We're training two Bermudans right now uh, to have the understanding and skills necessary to grow all their food on a lot less than 2,000 square feet is all I should say. Wow, okay. The, the recipe is you need 60% of your, this is for temperate areas, okay? Right. The recipe for temperate areas is uh, you need 60% of your area in what we call carbon and calorie crops. This is your summer and your winter grains. Mm -hmm. And is it okay for me to call them, I also call them compost crops because those are the things that usually are ending up contributing to your compost bin anyway. Yes, we, we use that too. Mm -hmm. But it's important to know that like compost crops, which are the winter and summer grains essentially, mm -hmm. there's a few exceptions. When we use only compost crops, that's the most important thing because it produces a tremendous amount of dry biomass for compost. Right. And it produces a significant amount of calories. Right. And so a lot of people say, I'm not going to grow compost crops because I want to eat. And we almost lost one of our best upcoming teachers about two decades ago. Uh, he stormed out of a training because he wasn't going to grow compost crops. <laughs> and but you still—that's the thing people don't understand—is it's not wasted. It's you still get the food. I, I, I know, but he—he <laughs> he was quite upset for about ten days, and he said he was leaving immediately. Oh wow! And uh, he stayed, and he was the first person in Mexico to, to introduce 
compass crops. Okay. But um, but a lot of people misunderstand. And then 30% uh, of your growing area should be in high-calorie producing special root crops. Mm -hmm. And on page 40 of How to Grow More Vegetables, the middle table lists them all, and there are two ways of looking at them. One is how many hundred square foot areas, we call a hundred square foot area bed, how many uh, of those hundred square foot areas do you need in order to grow all the calories for one person for all year? Right. And the other per question is, is how many pounds do you have to eat to get all those calories? <laughs> that's a good so question. The one that has the sweet spot is sweet potatoes. Yeah. So that's easy to easy to remember. Um, and everybody is in love with sweet potatoes, so that works well. Yeah, and you can eat uh, if you're growing a six month variety. Most varieties of sweet potatoes are a six to eight month maturing. And if you're growing that in the second month, you can harvest up to 30% of the leaves and eat them without reducing the tuber yield. Fantastic. So, and you knew that already. I can I, see. Well, I know that the I know that the uh, the leaves are edible, but I didn't know about the timing. That if you it's at two months, you said. At, during the second month. During the second month, you can. But after is it before or after that you can't? Uh, before or after that you can't without reducing the yield of the, the tubers. tubers. Okay. But then there's something especially that's exciting. But um, there's another thing. There's the Sand Hill Preservation uh, Seed Company, mm -hmm. and I think they're in Iowa. Uh, they have at least eight varieties of three month maturing sweet potatoes oh, in at least four or five different flesh colors. Wow. Uh, and one of my blog topics is on the sweet potato. Uh, that's it, on johnjevins.org. Uh, and there's it, it lists uh, also a very, I can't remember the name of it, but there's purple sweet potatoes uh, are extremely good for your health. Yes. And it's, it lists all the places that sell the purple ones. Fantastic. Um, it's so then 10% of your area is in your vegetable crops and income crops. Now, if you're growing a 40-bed unit, that would mean that four beds are in your vegetable and income crops. Right. And those are like your tomatoes and peppers and eggplants and things that... Right. And some yeah. things that you wouldn't expect, like onions. If onions produced just a little higher yield, they'd be a 30% crop. Right. In terms of their caloric production. Mm -hmm. But they're, they're in there. And then uh, Jerusalem artichoke is a 30% crop. But mm -hmm. if you put it on 15-inch centers, um, you will produce the normal amount of Jerusalem artichoke, but you will also produce 15 pounds of dry biomass, which makes them, at the beginning level of sustainable soil fertility, a biomass crop. So there's one way in which they're almost a 60% crop. Right, because they, they look like a giant sunflower, a multi-headed sunflower above ground, and that stalk and the, you know all of that becomes biomass right, for the but compost. But if you use tighter spacings, you don't get the same thing. Okay. Then um, I guess I will mention there's an exciting thing about two of the varieties of hardneck garlic. They not only produce the standard yield at beginning, intermediate, and high levels of biointensive yield of the tuber, but two of the varieties, German porcelain and uh, another one, they produce 30 pounds of dry biomass, so they're at the intermediate level of sustainable soil fertility uh, 
biomass production. Uh, and you can find out what the goals are on page 40 in the upper table of how to grow more vegetables. I love that you know exactly what page everything is on. Uh, and I wish I could remember <laughs> the other, well, it may be able to jump into my mind later. Okay. If it does, just shout it out. That's fine. Right, okay. I, I love showing people the diagram comparing traditional row farming to the grow biointensive plot, mm -hmm. which, you know, the, the biointensive plot is a quarter of the size of the row farming plot, and it doesn't have any rows. And it holds, if you count the heads of, I call them lettuce because mm -hmm. they look like lettuce. Right. If you count the heads of lettuce, there are two more in the biointensive plot than there are in the in the regular farming plot and it's that's the fascinating part to me that you can grow four times as much stuff on a plot of land but it's not just about tight spacing grow biointensive about is about a lot more than that because it's about say sustainability right. so what are the other important principles of grow biointensive okay well before we enumerate those okay i want to say that a lot of people are really worried that biointensive because it's manual is labor intensive uh -huh. and we find that it isn't it's skill intensive Ooh. and so that uh picture if you could hand me that yes uh the drawing that you can see i have it bookmarked in my copy yeah let's see. we have a copy for those listening we have a copy of the ninth edition of grow biointensive or how to grow more vegetables than you ever thought possible last night and you can imagine oh there it is i see it it's right here Ta -da! yeah on page, page 30, 30 you see we call it the four in one drawing so you see that in 100 square feet, you can have X amount of lettuce. Right. And to get the same amount of lettuce in row culture takes four times the area. Four times the area. It's, it's fascinating. And, and so, but there's interesting things here because you have to put water in four times the area. Mm -hmm. And it evaporates out between the rows. You actually, these spaces between the rows are mini deserts. And so you have and to. And water is yeah. one of the most precious resources in the world right now. Um, and you have to put fertilizers and compost, but a lot of that gets gasifies and oxidized. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, with the biointensive 100 square feet, the soil's loose two feet deep, so when you pull a weed out, you get the root. Here, you have Christmas all year round. You ho, ho, ho. Right, and the spaces between the, the crops are open soil, and so that is open it up to, opens it up to all kinds of weeds. Right, and then the weeds regrow from the root right. because you didn't really get the root out. Yeah. That's going back to the 10%. Yes. And so it turns out that you can grow all your vegetables that you need in two of the four beds. Yay! And so that leaves two beds available for income. Yes. And you can grow thousands of dollars in those two beds if you choose the right cropping. One really good alternating cropping is two 60-day crops, lettuce and early bunching onions. Uh-huh. And the early bunching onions are good because they concentrate sulfur. It's a fungicide. It's a fungicide. And so it prevents uh, disease among the lettuce that you're alternating. Oh, that's great. And uh, it just gets more and more fun. And you you might think that uh, you could have an early bunching onion mini farm and if you have good soil and you plant it on one inch centers you can make a fortune and it only and it only takes you two hours a day um, to do that so we're just at the tip of the iceberg at sharing what we know in, in terms of application and what's possible and right. what's possible uh, so so the spacing is one thing. Okay, so first thing is deep soil preparation. Okay. 
And so we prepared the soil. What you want is a living sponge cake 24 inches deep, two feet deep. Now, normally in agriculture, the soil is only prepared 5.8 inches deep. So this is four times deeper. Mm -hmm. So you have four times the nutrient cycling. And that's why you can get up to four times the crops in a given area uh -huh. and up to four times the yield. And actually with cucumbers, the first time we grew it out, we got nine. And eventually we got 20 times the U.S. average with cucumbers. Wow. Uh, part of it was the harvesting point. But there, there's just it just gets more and more fun. Yeah. We had at a three-day workshop like you attended, we had four representatives from an organization in India that are mentoring over a million organic farmers in India. Wow. Regular farmers in India are committing suicide one every 31 minutes. Right. It's an so, astonishing Because they rate. can't afford the inputs and they feel embarrassed and they don't want to bring shame on their family. Right. So sad. It's over 250,000 farmers have killed themselves in India. It's just... It's astounding. Uh, makes me cry. Yeah. The Anyway, I showed them in 20 minutes at a break in our three-day workshop how with five beds of cucumbers, they could grow the income needed for the average five-person organic farming family, including the school fees needed to send their kids to school. That's so great. Uh, and and the, the amount of time it would take uh, to do that would probably be an hour and a half to two hours a day. Okay. So, so small is bountiful, but also it's productive and also it's labor-saving if you choose the right combination. Right. So I know double digging is a big piece of this. This, this deep, Oh, yes. The second is the use of compost. Yes. Uh, I, I want to back up real quick before Please. we get to compost. Now, I, I have very sandy soil, so double digging is quite easy for me. However, I am also a big fan of no-till. So how do you... Out, you know, uh, you, you ask such good questions, and I, I <laughs> love the level of your involvement. Right. Can we back up to sand? Let's talk up to let's talk well sand yes and that's, that's fixable with with well, with organic matter and all of well, that. Well and also but, with bringing in some clay but there's a different tip. Yeah. You grow okra. Grow okra. Tell me why. And you grow it to maturity and you do not harvest it. Cuz the when, roots well, the roots definitely put organic matter in the soil, but then we should talk about cereal rye. Oh, my gosh. We're going so deep. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> so, but first, let's do okra. Okay. So, once it's at maturity and you haven't eaten any of the okra, you take hedgers. You know what hedgers are? Yes. And you chop it all in little bits and pieces, and we never do this normally, but you dig it all into the upper 12 inches. Mm hmm What happens when you put okra in soup? It gets mushy. It gets gelatinous. It's gelatinous. It has the, yeah, it's the bio, the bacterial glues forming yeah, gelatinous so now, goo. Now what you do is you're gluing all the sand grains together, and you don't have the overly rapid penetration of water and the exit of nutrients. We're getting so many tips from you today, John. That's all right. <laughs> well, you awesome. can use them however you want. I love this. You know, so, but let's talk, look at cereal rye. Okay. When we have a clay soil... Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's important that the information get out to the Absolutely. world. Absolutely. That's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. So, um, cereal rye, when we have a clayey soil, we broadcast four times the normal amount. Normally, we transplant everything. Right. Except for radishes and buckwheat. Uh, but if we have a really clay soil, instead of transplanting on five-inch centers of cereal rye, we, in the early fall, mm -hmm. we broadcast four times the seed in per unit of area. 
Wow. Why is the that? reason why? Yeah, why? Once you, and, and we don't talk about this 4X cereal rye approach in how to grow, but we talk about the cereal rye. And if you find that place, there's an index. Uh, one cereal rye plant puts out three miles of roots a day, 387 miles of roots in one season, and 6,603 miles of root hairs in one season. And he's got this all in his head, people. He's not reading this off of anything. <laughs> and there's 833 rye plants on five-inch centers in a normally transplanted bed. So multiply eight times 367, et cetera. Okay. And so you're, you're essentially putting compost in the soil. Right. And there's three types of compost. There's animal manure compost. There's, if you will, vegan or plant-based compost. And there's root compost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Root compost is eight times qualitatively better than manure compost. Because you're colonizing microbes all around. Yeah, and there's, there's other reasons, but yes. And then the, um, it's two times better than plant-based compost, mm-hmm. qualitatively, not quantitatively. So by the, and also the cropping, if you do this 4X cereal rye thing, you're going to get probably not four times the dry biomass, but probably two. Mm-hmm. And you're probably going to get two times the seed for proteins and calories that you normally get. And you're going to be making your soil more friable. So so let's say we did that. And we still got to come to no-till. Exactly. I'm coming back to no-till <laughs> right now. So say let's say we do that and we've got this incredible, uh, you know, long-chain fungal hyphae growing in there in the soil because you've done this amazing thing with cereal rye. And, and, uh, and so then... Do you do you stop tilling, double digging at some point, and do you switch to no-till, or what? Yes, no, and maybe. Okay. <laughs> and something I want to call everybody's attention to and how to grow on page 19 is, do you know the average carrot grows six and a half feet deep into the soil? So the roots, the root hairs anyway, will grow that deep. Yeah, I mean, not the part you eat. Right, And yeah. when you pull it out, it all pops off. Right. But are you going to want a soil that's been prepared six inches deep or 12 inches deep or 24 inches deep to grow the best carrot. Well, that's... that's they do an, better in the, deep, an, in the deeply e- prepared soils. Easy answer. Soils. But then at the... I'm getting the other page number here. This is the first time we've ever had page references to any of the topics uh, we're talking about. I love it. I hope it's okay. No, yeah. it's totally great. Okay, so what you're going to read on page 32 is once you have good soil structure, you don't double dig anymore. Thank you. But you surface cultivate the upper two to four inches with a hula hoe. And the reason why is you cut off the roots of weeds deep enough so they don't regrow. Yeah. And the hula hoe is my favorite tool. Oh, cool. <laughs> I love that tool. Well, another thing worldwide, most of the world's soils are, have been dehumidified. Mm-hmm. They also are compacted. And so you're going to have a net gain in the growth of your plants and production of food and biomass if you double dig until you get good soil structure. Newsweek magazine a long time ago in our first decade of doing this said that biointensive soil was a soccer torta of soils. Really? Yeah, soccer torta is a delicious, exquisite pastry, Mm -hmm. uh, especially appreciated in Austria. So that's why you're trying to create a living sponge cake. Yes. In Spanish, sponja vivante. I love it. it. Yeah. So (laughs) the... um, That's got teeth. But now we need to get back to... um, Right. So... To to, uh, 
no-till. Yes. Okay, so initially, before no-till happens, unless you use dynamite, which goes down three feet, kills gophers, and adds nitrogen, uh, <laughs> and it's dangerous, you shouldn't do it. It's yeah. a little bit appealing, though. <laughs> yeah. So how deep has the soil been prepped before the no-till? Do you start with a clay, compacted clay, and do no-till? Right. So that depends. Right. So, there's, okay, hypothetical question. Continue. Yeah, so how would you answer that? Well, I would, see, I would jump and say I would I would grow deep daikon radishes on clay soil the first year oh, to break up the, approach. Right, yeah. to break up the, the soil, then fill the holes with compost, and then, you know. And, and the decomposing uh, daikon radishes uh, are carbon. And they, if you just leave them in there and let them rot, they're doing what the cereal rye roots are doing in a different way. In a way, different way, in a yeah. More, in a more gross way, but not a bad way, a good way. Gross meaning ex- more Large, uh, larger. Yeah, larger yeah, roots. Larger. <laughs> yeah, got it. So, okay. So what happens is probably the soil has only been prepped eight, six just inches barely, deep. barely, yeah. If that. Yeah. So... Do you want a no-till bio-intensive bed once you have good soil structure? Or do you want a no-till bed that's 24 inches good soil structure? Or do you want uh, a 6-inch deep good soil structure no-till bed? That's my my thought. Right. So it it makes sense to double dig to start out with until you get the good structure. Right. And a lot of people don't want to because it's labor and they think it's hard. Well, if you look at our Grow Biointensive DVD, yes, <laughs> uh, then what happens is we show how to double dig without it being work. And yeah. I'm usually more energized by the end of a double dig than at the beginning. It's seriously, watching you do that is like watching someone do Tai Chi. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun at the San Diego Zoo at our second three-day workshop. Yeah. I went in, and I just shifted my body weight, uh-huh. and it knifed right through a two-inch PVC water line. Oops! <laughs> <laughs> and so we had water spewing up. But what, what uh, we had a, um, a keto master there, uh-huh. and he said, John, you dig just like a keto. There you go. And so you don't use effort, but I've had people, when I show them how to not effort, Mm-hmm. Especially guys, because they want to use want effort. effort. Yeah. They want to be machismo. Mm-hmm. I've had them want to slug me. You know when somebody wants to slug you. <laughs> and I say, well, if that's what, you know, I say, I find it easier digging this other way. But if you like to do it the way you're describing, go for it. Yeah, work out. And I, I had a woman who, <laughs> uh, it took me 20 minutes, and we finally got her to a place where she wasn't using any effort. And she came back. In about six minutes, and she said, John, I have to confess, I like the work. Oh, okay. And I said, well, do it. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so we've got, so far we've got the spacing, we've got double digging. And then we have compost. So compost. We use compost, and we use uh, an amount that, as you'll see in the tables on the upper table on page 40, <laughs> uh, at the intermediate level, you use uh, two cubic feet, three five-gallon buckets, of uh, cured compost, which includes, because of the recipe we use, 50% soil once it's cured. Right, because you're adding soil in between the layers of browns and greens. And the soil becomes as if it's compost. It yeah. has compost juices. It's, 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 it's wonderful. And you grew it all yourself Yes. on a closed system basis. And this is what the world is going to need to do. There's only, according to academic evaluation, there's only 26 years' worth of farmable soil left in the world. We've got some work to do. 
Yeah, job security, I think. Yeah. Um, and most of the studies have been done on soils that show their depletion are linear. So they're expecting the soils to deplete linearly. Mm. But I've checked with two world experts on soils, and they confirm the understanding that as soils deplete, it accelerates. Yeah. And so there's, I mean, I don't know, uh, how old are you? I'm 48. Okay, and I'm 76. Okay. But uh, in uh, just a little over, let's see, a little over half of your lifetime, lifetime. there won't be any farmable soils in the world unless we get proactive. So what I tell people, because at this point maybe they're getting depressed. (laughs) uh, Yes, we did get really depressed in the first day of your workshop. I remember that. Yeah, that has occurred. If you want to predict the future, create it. Yay! And you know whose quote that is? Who? D. Hawk, the man who created the credit card. <laughs> did he create his future and ours? <laughs> yes, he did. Wow. Uh, so, okay. Uh, so we're at compost. We got we got the compost. We got the bio, the double digging. We've got the 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 formula for the crops. And We've, the formula is, uh, I mean, there's first there's double digging, then compost, close spacing, then sixty percent crops, right, then thirty percent crops, 10. and the 30% crops, the 10 is in the write-up, is squeezed in there. Right. And then we go into companion planting. Yes, let's talk about that. And planting crops together that benefit each other mm-hmm. and keeping ones apart from each other that don't. Right. It turns out that, okay, if you look in the companion planting charts that are in How to Grow More Vegetables, you'll find that most of the vegetables you put into a salad are companions. Right. And the only exceptions are beans and onions, kind of thing. Uh-huh. So uh, the alliums don't get along with the legumes. Yes. Um, and though sometimes both of those are put in salads. True. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, a wonderful, wonderful book is called Companion Plants and How to Use Them by Richard Gregg and Helen Philbrick. Okay. And uh, in it, two concepts are covered. Um, one is crystallization and the other is chromatography. We need more people who actually practice both of those, who are specialists. But let's just look at crystallization. Do you know about crystallization? I don't. I'm, both of these terms are new to me, so okay, talk so away. Okay, so what you do, you know what a Petri dish is? Yes. Like a little glass dish with a lip on the outside? Yeah. So let's talk about wheat and chamomile. Mm-hmm. So if you grind up the wheat parts and put them in copper sulfate uh, solution Mm -hmm. with some water in there and you put it in the petri dish a crystallization form will occur okay and if the wheat was healthy it's going to be strong in a certain format of pattern okay if you do that for chamomile the same thing happens Mm -hmm. but if you put them together one to one Uh they mess with each other and it's not optimal okay so if you plant one wheat one chamomile they're both going to deplete each other. Okay. But if you put in 100 parts wheat juice and one part chamomile juice, it strengthens both of them. Wow. So anyway, it gets more and more exciting. But then there's a book that has done a lot of research on companion planting and then says, well, it doesn't always work and it depends on your climate, your soil, and your crop. But if you read companion plants on how to use them, there's some profound information in there that I'm sure is accurate. So... All right. What other biointensive methods uh, have we not covered yet? The next thing is the use of open-pollinated seeds. This is another way of saying no GMOs. Yes. (laughs) And And seeds you can save yourself. But we have a booklet called Growing the Seed, 
that's extraordinary. And I'll just tell you about Columel. Columel. Columel and the master charts for it. For almost all the crops you'll ever grow, including grains, mm -hmm. it tells you how many plants you need to grow to preserve genetic diversity. Oh, cool. And usually it's really small. Often it's like only five plants and mm -hmm. not a very big area. So in your backyard, you can acclimatize your seeds to your climate and soil and preserve genetic diversity all at the same time. Right, which is perfect that you're saying this while we're recording this here at the Heirloom Expo, which Absolutely. is all about open-pollinated and heirloom seeds. And that's the that's and the foundation of, of why people do it, is so you can save the seeds from year to year and adapt them to your climate. And it's triply important for an additional reason. By the year 2000, at best, only 5% of the crop varieties ever grown in agriculture in the world were still remaining. Yeah, they've been removed by seed companies as they get bought so up. So even if you were wanting to use genetic material from plants in order to create a GMO, you're going to have less and less and less to create from. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Besides that, we need to empower everybody to be totally self-reliant. I agree. And so... This booklet will help that. And the last thing is this is a whole system. In the early years of teaching in Palo Alto, I had someone come in and he said, wow, I double dug and I put in my tomatoes and it didn't work. Because they're missing the other pieces. He didn't use closed plant spacing. He didn't water properly. I mean, he just yeah. didn't use all the pieces. So I said, why don't you go home? It's still early enough in the season. And why don't you try using all of the pieces? And he came back about two months later and he says, it works. Yeah. And there's another story like that about cabbage from MOFA, Maine Organic Farming and Gardening Association, uh -huh. a great group. And after the first How to Grow came out, they used Biointensive. They were excited about it, but they warned their, their uh, membership not to grow cabbage with Biointensive because it got so big it fell over <laughs> and it uprooted. <laughs> So it turns out that it was being extremely successful, but they were warning not to... They didn't know how to deal with it? Not, not to use it, which is too bad because it's a good thing to use. So if we go on the seed, into the seed propagation uh, chapter in uh, How to Grow More Vegetables, what we do is uh, we show on pages 85 through page 88 exactly how to transplant. So... What we did is we wrote back and said, well, what you need to do is you bury the cotyledons. Yes. And you bring it up to the first leaves, and it can't fall over. Oh, perfect. So That's a great trick. I, I swear we're getting so much out of you right now. This is well, awesome. I'm, I'm glad if it's useful. That's to you and your, your listeners. I love this. Okay, so how do people, because this is a lot for people just, just being introduced to grow biointensive. Where do you recommend that people begin? I recommend that people who are beginning with biointensive get the Grow Biointensive DVD so they can see the skills because it's a lot easier to double dig than you ever can yeah. imagine. And having the visual aids make a really big difference. And it shows you how to build compost and yeah. in a certain way that's really excellent. Uh, my son-in-law, Tim, is the one who's the main actor mm -hmm. in it, and it took us two and a quarter years to produce it so we could have it flow and be accurate. It was a wonderful process. Anyway, what you want to do is uh, watch the Grow By Intensive DVD and get the skills down. Yeah. Also, I would recommend that you go online to www.growbiointensive.org slash 
E hubs in there you will find our book that's called the enhanced farmers mini handbook okay it took us two and a quarter years to write this uh, actually we didn't Margot Royer Miller Oh. One of you know Margot. Yes, they were they were the the t interns who were teaching in my year. Yes, I still connect with oh, them. Oh, and they're fantastic they people. Are. They're and they have two people. sons. Oh, they have two now. Alton she and was, Isaac. She was pregnant with her first child when uh, I knew her. All right, that's amazing. So anyway, they're they're wonderful people, and they walk their talk. Yes, they do. It, it's great. So Margot took two and a quarter years to write this, and it's simple. It has almost no numbers, and it's only 20 pages. Fantastic. Well, we've just enhanced it by adding eight color photographs that you can print out as posters, and it has descriptions for the eight elements of Grow Biointensive and what it means in both English and Spanish. Perfect. And it's at this website, and it's available for free or preferably for a donation. And you I can, love that you, you have, yeah. Uh, so we really want people to, um, you know, be able to benefit by the wealth of biologically intensive growing soil and food. Yes. Okay, I'm going to take a moment to mourn the tragic loss of Ecology Action's retail wing, bountifulgardens.org. Oh. Rest in peace. It was it was one of my favorite seed catalogs and and re, and resources, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm devastated without it, honestly. Um, is there a chance of it returning? I, I can't rule that out, but I think it would be in the distant future. Okay. Uh, the thing I will say is that we, if you go to www.bountifulgardens.org, mm -hmm. there's one page there that recommends all sorts of other seed companies right. that have good seeds. And I posted a snapshot of that on a blog post I wrote that's called Farewell to Bountiful Gardens. Oh. I, I swear, I mean, when I took the workshop and what I, how I describe it to people is it took my brain out, it scrambled it up, and it put it back in so that I could see the world in a different way. And it, it makes so much more sense that way. Yeah, and Carol Duppy in The Resilient Gardener, yes. on page 99, <laughs> she said, if you're doing beds, you need how to grow more vegetables. Oh, good. And then she says, if you're not doing beds, you need how to grow more vegetables. <laughs> and she says, why? And there is a profile, I'm just going to plug my own book here, in uh, Gardening for Geeks. There is yeah. a little uh, field trip page on on Grow Biointensive and, and cool. a trip to your farm, your the, the Willits. Right. Uh, you know, not the gold. I don't think I have a picture in there of the golden mean. Is it golden? Golden Rule. Golden Rule mm -hmm. farm, but the, the Willits, uh, and the, thousand square feet. They're such great people at Golden Rule. Yeah, yeah. they are. They are. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like this is almost redundant, but it's tip time. <laughs> Oh, and we've got a... Do we have a good uh, so tip? So you want me to uh, leak out a tip, right? If you Yes, please share a, a tip with the garden nerd audience. <laughs> okay, well, the leak for today is leeks. Leeks! L-E-E-K-S. Leeks are wonderful. I, we found in finding out how to design a much smaller than 4,000 square feet and a much smaller than 2,000 square foot diet, we found that leeks are one of the key crops. How so? Because it contains significant amounts, and I don't remember which ones, of two of the essential amino acids that a lot of the other crops don't have a lot of. Oh, wow. For eating. For eating. This is for human diet. Okay. Another thing that's a good part of the smallest scale diet is uh, 3.25 beds, 325 square feet of potatoes, two-month maturing. So now what are we backing into? Bichyswaa. Fishy swamp. Yeah, potato leek soup. Potato leek soup. I love potato uh, leek soup. And if you add a little uh, 
tree collards to that. Yeah. You pick up uh, protein and uh, trace minerals that you wouldn't have otherwise. But let's talk about tree collards in a moment. I can live off tree collards and potato leek soup, I swear to God. Yeah, for real? <laughs> well, you're going to love the tip on tree collards in a moment. Okay. And there's an article in uh, the the Baker Creek Magazine uh, that I wrote the with other people, Gardner. the Heirloom Gardener, yes. on tree collards. It's worth looking at uh, the care and feeding of tree collards and essence. But anyway, back to leeks. Most people get about one quarter of the yield that they could get with leeks, edible yield. So I want to give two tips and a perspective for how to increase that. Okay. okay, fire away. And if you look in the master charts under leaks, it will tell you the exact timing and how deep a flat to put things in and so on. Okay. I have a lot of things memorized, but I'll have everything memorized. <laughs> um, growing leaks is an eight-month relationship, mm -hmm. and it's three months in the flats. It's about six, approximately six weeks in the first flat, three inches deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, then it's you prick them out into a second flat and uh, into a, a six-inch deep flat. Uh -huh. And it tells you the centers to prick them out onto. I don't remember that right. one. And then what you do is you let the, the leeks grow until normally leeks and onions are pricked out when they're the size of the pencil lead in a number two pencil. Uh -huh. But you let them grow until they're the size of a number two pencil. The thickness of a the pencil. Wood. Yeah. So, and then you transplant them into the soil. So when you wait until it gets that large to transplant it, then you can get double the yield when it's at the harvest time. Okay. But most people sacrifice it because they have these little tiny, tiny transplants. Thing. Yeah. And in addition, it's in the new three-day workshop manual, and I don't have it in How to Grow. But we found out finally why pricking out works. Why? Because if, there's a photograph that shows if you put it in the ground and you don't prick it out, you direct sow, it shows you the root system you get. Uh-huh. If you prick it out once, it shows you the root system you get. And if you prick it out a second time, it shows you the root system you get. And you have over three times the root system because it has to regrow roots every time you prick it out. Right, and one Italian way of growing tomatoes is once it's been in the ground for a while, they grab it by the main stem mm -hmm. and they jerk it out Tug a it. little bit. Yeah. And then, of course, that shattered, breaks off the roots and it has to grow more roots. Yeah. So when you're finally, after you've done this prick out into the deeper flat and then into the ground, you've probably doubled the roots that are going in besides it being fatter. Yeah. And, okay, so that's the first tip. Okay, I just want to clarify for those who don't know what flats are. These are these, it's basically a redwood seed flat that is, uh, it's uh, three inches deep, and then there's a deep flat that is six inches deep. And it's basically a box, and you can make them yourselves. There are usually some slats on the bottom to uh, allow for drainage, and there are instructions for how to make them in Grow Biointensive, how to grow more vegetables. On page 83, on page 83. and 82. And, and you used uh, to be able others. to buy them pre uh, unassembled from the, the store at Bountiful Gardens, but well, you can't anymore. Well, you may be able to buy them from another location, but that's probably at least a year away. Okay, good news uh, they for They are me. fantastic. They are. Okay. Okay, so, so you now have, the, you have a second, se the tip. second thing, yeah. Yeah. So it's five months in the ground. We just had it six weeks, six weeks, which is three months in flats, and yeah. now five months in the ground. So what you do on the first day of the first week 
of the fifth month, you take your thumb and your index finger and you grab a representative leaf tip and you break it off gently and you eat it. And what happens is, wham, I mean, it's sharp as all get out to the taste. Yeah. And it melts in your mouth because there's no fiber. The leaf tips, because usually leek leaves are pretty fibrous. We're, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're heading in that direction. All right. And not. <laughs> so some of my answers in teaching are yes, no, and maybe. Yes, no, and maybe. So, well, this is sort of a maybe. Okay. Um, so now, at the beginning of the first week, or the second week, the first day, you do the same thing from another plant, uh-huh. and it's still pretty powerful, Okay. and it still tends to melt in your mouth. Okay. By the first day of the third week, you do that, and it's not quite as sharp, Okay. and it doesn't melt quite as easily. So it mellows. And then by the first day of the fourth week in the fifth month, it's probably it's not that sharp, and it's got fiber in it, but it's not flossing time yet <laughs> that's the point at which you harvest oh now why do we harvest then why do you harvest then john yeah well i don't know <laughs> <laughs> so the reason you harvest then is the nutritional value of the of the green part of the leek is about the same as the white value oh. and if you cut it at the place where the greens are normally cut and thrown away because they're floss material because mm-hmm. they waited too long they didn't do this taste test yeah uh, then you have double the nutrition because you have double the weight right because the greens and the whites are about the same and you can eat the whole plant and your soup will be a little greener but that's okay yeah, well, you just think of uh, St. Patty's Day. Right. Yeah. I don't mind. So, cool. Or call it Irish uh, Vichyssoise to, <laughs> to mix countries up a little bit. So, it, it's, it's wonderful because you get double the yield from the plants and then you get double uh, the edible yield by using this technique. Awesome. Let's, let's get back to tree collards. Tell me what your okay. tip is about that. Well, tree collards are green milk. Green milk? Yeah. I need you to explain that to me. I thought maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So if you grow 100 square feet of alfalfa and feed it to a cow or a goat or a rhinoceros, maybe, uh, you're going to get a certain amount of milk. Okay. From that animal. Yes. Okay, you follow that? I follow, yes, I follow that. Okay, so we... Converted the milk from green or the the green to milk okay. in that way. I see. But if you eat the tree collards from 100 square feet, and and there's a certain way in which you need to grow them and prune them per year and other things, which are in the heirloom gardener article okay. about the care and feeding of tree collards, you get four times the protein and eight times the calcium per 100 square feet that you get with milk. Wow. And then, so what happened is, you remember Chernobyl? Yes. So the nuclear accident in Russia? Yes. Well, before then, the United States had been giving or selling low-cost powdered milk to Mexico. Mm-hmm. But then after Chernobyl, because there wasn't much milk that wasn't tainted or polluted right. in Europe, they started selling it to Europe. And so Mexico didn't get it. Mm. And the powdered milk was being used... Uh, in the Menos y Mejores program under the Social Security Department of Mexico uh, for children to enhance, you know, for their milk uh-huh. so they get their calcium. Well, they couldn't get it now 
in the same easy way. Yeah. But biointensive was being used, and they had tree collards, so they fed them tree collards instead. And the tree collards were, in terms of nutrition, per unit of calcium. Oh, and there's iron you're getting right. in addition, and minerals. But they got the same result from the tree collard nutrition per unit of calcium that uh, they were getting from milk and maybe a little better. And it tastes good. And it's Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the reason why I like tree, I call it tree kale, but tree collards, I, I like it because it's a perennial kale that is not affected by summer the way that kale is usually affected that, by that, summer. That's right. They're not as bitter. Thank you for sharing that expert tip and all of your expert tips, John. And thank you for being a guest on the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. Thank you for sharing so many things from so many people too such a great audience oh well so that's that's I'm, wonderful i'm happy to do it all right garden nerds you'll find links to ecology action and grow biointensive on gardennerd.com this week we'll also include links to a whole bunch of stuff that we talked about during this this interview and i will link to a series of videos that explain the mini farming method that are available on john's website That's it for this week. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us for tons of gardening information at GardenNerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter at GardenNerd1, on Facebook as GardenNerd.com, and, of course, our GardenNerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!